And this is my sister, Olivia Wishard. And, and we welcome you to Christ Church. We pray that you guys are all safe and healthy through these times. We miss you. We miss our Sunday school teachers, our the coffee hours, our friends, and our church family. We especially miss greeting. We will pray for you. God bless each and every one of you. We hope that we can see you all again soon. Precious. Good morning. My name is Maggie Umstead, and I serve on the Board of Elders here at Christ Church. It is so good to have you joining us in, on the live stream or in the sanctuary on this World Communion Sunday. If you would like to follow along in our order of worship, you can text the number on the screen or find it at the web address listed there. Today, believers around the world are participating in the sacred practice of communion. We hope that you at home might join us by gathering some bread and juice so that you can participate with us here in the sanctuary. As we join in worship together, let us picture God on his throne with Jesus filling the gap between us and the Father as we kneel before him. Let us posture our hearts in humility and reverence. We have the privilege of worshiping a most holy God. He is also loving and good and just. He is merciful, gracious, and faithful. He's patient and truthful and wise. 1 Samuel 2.2 says, There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Let us join our voices together as we sing to our God who is so worthy.
Our Father in heaven, thank you for loving the world so greatly. You gave your only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be reconciled to you. Lord Jesus Christ, you alone are worthy of our praise and adoration. We confess that you are the head of the church and Lord of all heaven and earth. May people from every tribe and language become your followers so that your blessings bring transformation among all peoples. Father of mercy and grace, we acknowledge that we have sinned and that our world is gripped by the power of sin. Our hearts are grieved by injustice, hatred, and violence. We are shamed by oppression, racism, and bloodshed. We mourn all loss of life in murder, war, and terrorism. Our communities and churches are divided by rebellion and pride. Spirit of the living God, apart from you, we can do nothing. Transform your church into the image of Jesus Christ. Release your power to bring healing to the sick, freedom to the oppressed, and comfort to those who mourn. Pour your love into our hearts and fill us with compassion to answer the call of the homeless and the hungry and to enfold those who are alone or lonely. Give us wisdom and insight for the problems we face. Because you are the risen Lord and the Father has given you a name above all names, you will defeat all powers of evil. Fill us with the courage to preach your word fearlessly and to intercede for the lost faithfully. Almighty God, deliver us from all evil. King of glory, come and finish your work in our cities, our peoples, and our nations. We lift our voices in unison with believers around the world as together we cry, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen.
is beautiful. Thank you. Welcome to Christ Church Worship. We're so glad that you've joined us. Whether you're joining us online or here in person in the sanctuary, we're privileged that you chose to invest your time with us. If this is your first time tuning in or in person, we want to say a special welcome. We'll be celebrating communion a little later in the morning, so if you aren't prepared yet with a, uh, some juice or bread, we just ask that you gather them now. It would be a good time to do that. If you're new to Christ Church, there are a couple of ways that you can connect with us when you're ready. First, subscribe to our weekly update to learn about what's happening here and how you can get to know others and become involved. Second, join us at noon today for our Meet the Pastor gathering. You'll have the opportunity to meet senior pastor Dan Meyer and a few other staff. Pastor Dan will share what we believe and talk about how you can get connected. We'd also like to invite everyone to join us for our annual hymn sing. Our gifted musicians are preparing to lead us in a rich time of worship. Things are a little different this year, though. We'll be gathering outdoors in our parking lot if the weather cooperates, as well as on our website and on Facebook. If you would like to request a favorite hymn, email Noelle Combs, our Senior Director of Worship and Music. You'll find her email address on the Hymn Sing page of our website. We've come to the time in our service now where those who are called, who call Christ Church their home, give to God a portion of what He has already given to them. When you give to the church, you are joining in on what God has been doing in us and through us for generations. Your gifts empower the work God is doing in the lives of people in our church, in our community, and around the world. This is Communion Sunday. Let our offerings and gifts today reflect our ability to receive God's gift of love to us in Jesus. God so loved the world that He gave His Son. As you listen to this next song, contemplate the gift of God's Son and pray that our offerings continue to be used by God to change and enrich lives.
Well, friends, welcome back to our sanctuary as we join together in our continued journey down the Jericho Road. I'm Dave Bianchin, and I'm delighted to be with you this morning to see your faces here and to recognize the many folks who are with us uh, on live stream and Facebook Live today. We have been working through this wonderful parable that Jesus gives of the Good Samaritan, and we're going to continue to dive deeply today into what is probably the most controversial of the figures in it. And I hope that you're ready for um, a little bit of challenge this morning, because as Jesus moves to this part of the story, that's really what he's doing with his listeners. He's pushing them very, very hard. And I hope that we're open to the Spirit of God doing that with us this morning. Would you join me, please, in prayer? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful today for the opportunity to hear your word and to consider it and to be shaped by it, Lord. We ask that your Holy Spirit would come upon us and open our eyes and our ears to the very things you intended your original listeners to hear today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus is talking to a teacher of the law, a man who knows what he's talking about or should know what he's talking about. And he asks Jesus who his neighbor is. It's as if he feels like the first commandment about loving God, he's got that figured out. And the next one, Jesus starts to challenge him to push him a little bit farther. And one of the things I want us to think about as we begin into this uh, is a, an image of a tapestry. I have a friend who has a loom in her house, and she's a very, very talented weaver. I, there's probably a better word for that, but um, that's what I'll use this morning. And she brings these various threads and yarns together and puts something together that's beautiful. Different colors, different patterns, different sizes and even shapes. And Jesus is asking us this morning to weave together in our minds and our hearts and in our very lives as disciples these two commandments of loving God with our heart and soul and mind and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves. So listen with me please or follow with me please as we read the parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have." Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. 
Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I'd like to look at this passage this morning through the window of three different questions. And the first question is, who is my neighbor? When the expert in the law asks Jesus this question, he thinks he already knows the answer to it. And he thinks that everybody around him knows the answer to this as well. Because in the Jewish understanding of neighborliness at that point, a neighbor is any fellow Jew. That's the definition. If you're a Jewish person standing next to me, you are my neighbor. If you're a foreigner, if you're a resident alien, you're not my neighbor. And the law didn't provide for that. And all of the the demands of the law and the privileges of the law which went to Jews, went to any one of their, them as neighbors, but were not given to other people. So as Jesus begins to answer this question, you can almost sense a smugness on the part of the young man. I know what Jesus is going to say. You can sense among Jesus' listeners kind of a litmus test mentality. Is Jesus going to say the sort of thing that I know already to be true? Because my neighbor is people like me. It's my tribe, it's my race, it's my religion, it's those who live in my neighborhood. But Jesus is going to go ahead with this story and tell us that my neighbor may not be who I probably suspect or who I anticipate that neighbor will be. So let's take a breath and pause for just a moment and review what we've learned in these previous weeks. Okay, we've gone down the Jericho Road, this rugged, isolated, unsafe place. Check. We understand that to be true. Robbers have attacked a man, leaving him dead on that isolated road. That happened all the time, as we've heard. Check, that's true as well. Now it gets a little bit more difficult. A priest and a Levi pass the man by. Well, this one's a little bit harder to swallow, but the listeners must think, well, Jesus must have something really good to say if the priest and the Levite didn't stop, and we know they might have had some good reasons not to. We re- Aaron reviewed those for us last week. There must be some dramatic, positive, savior type of character who's going to enter into Jesus' story now. But instead, the neighbor becomes identified by Jesus as the Samaritan. And the people are saying, no, no, that's not possible because that leads us to our second question, Who is the Samaritan? Well, let's take a look at the facts for just a moment. The Samaritans were scorned by the Jews because they were of mixed race. They were of Gentile and Jewish heritage. And the Samaritans and the Jews believed different things about many of the practicalities and the principles of their religion. The Samaritans believed that they were following the true Judaism, which was before the Babylonian captivity. And the Jews felt they were following the true religion as it was restored to them after the Babylonian captivity. But the main issue between Jews and Samaritans has always been the location of the chosen place to worship God. The Temple Mount of Moriah in Jerusalem, according to Judaism, or Mount Gerizim, according to the Samaritans. And this was the rub, where do we worship God? And how do we worship God? And which of us has it right and it can't be you. Interestingly, uh, in my research, uh, one of the articles noted that today there are only some 820 identified Samaritans left in the Middle East. So that's the facts. 
So anything or almost anything Jesus is going to say is going to be hard and not even credible in a way because the facts are one thing, but the emotional attitude toward this group of people is an entirely different thing. There's shock. There's offense. They can't believe that Jesus would be making as the hero of this story, the Samaritan. Journey back with me, please, almost 50 years ago. It doesn't seem like it's been that long now. But in 1971, I was with the youth group I was part of um, at a church in San Francisco. And we had gone there to do a weekend service project. And we went to the church we were staying in. And my, my cousin-to-be, he was not yet my cousin. He married my cousin Paula. And Tom got up to give the sermon that day in that congregation. Now, remember that time, if you will, if you're, if you're old enough. <laughs> and I'm, I'm old enough, so I, I, join me with this. In 1971, the Cold War was going on, and the attitude of the United States toward Russia was hostility, and the attitude toward most of us in the United States toward the Communist Party in Russia was deep hostility. These were a threat not only to our livelihood, but in many ways to our life. We were afraid. We were angry at what might happen in the world. It was a very, very unsettling time, if you remember that with me. And in the midst of that, in 1971, Tom got up and preached a sermon on this very text. And when he got through the robbers and he got through the priest and the Levite and he got to the Samaritan, he was telling this in real time. He identified the character of the Samaritan as a communist. And I watched eight or ten people get right up out of their seats and walk out of the sanctuary that day. Now, I don't want to blame them for their anger, but I want to point out that Tom was exactly right in terms of the emotional sense of what Jesus is giving to the listeners at this point. The Samaritan was just as hated as we in the United States hated and, and, and were cautious of the communists in Russia. Ken Bailey, a, a pastor and teacher who taught in the Middle East for most of his career, writes this. He says, the present writer can only confess that in 20 years he has not had the courage to tell a story to the Palestinians about a noble Israeli, nor a story about the noble Turk to the Armenians. So I want us to sense the gravity of this. Jesus is not giving an image of someone, we, may, well, we could take or leave, we may not like him. This is a deeply hated group of people, and he becomes the one who is the one who shows mercy. Ken Bailey in his commentary on this goes on to say that, that Jesus paints a whole different picture of him because of what he does. The Samaritan has compassion on the wounded man. That's his attitude. He uses all of his available resources, his, his own horse to transport the man, his money to put the man up. He ignores the social dangers and restrictions because if you think of how Jesus was telling the story, the Samaritan would have been transporting this probably Jewish man, as people would understand him, into a probably Jewish town. And what would people have thought just happened? They would have thought that the Samaritan had done something bad to the Jew. Instead, he comes and he says, please take care of him. So the Samaritan in Jesus' story ignores huge risks inherent in transporting him to that place where he could be unjustly accused of injury. Now, I want us not to underestimate the power of this illustration on Jesus' part. And I want us not to underestimate the relevance of this illustration 
to our time and our place today. What's Jesus trying to communicate? Jesus is trying to communicate to the people there that a larger reality is coming into the world, and that is the kingdom of God. And that kingdom of God will eventually be expressed specifically in the body of Christ, and the old delineations of identity and neighborliness will be superseded by one's identity in Jesus Christ. So the unexpected thrust of Jesus' message is this. Our neighbor may not be the person we think he or she is, and the one who may be the best neighbor may be the person that we least expect. And the corollary to that in our own application of this is the person we need to be a neighbor to may not be the person we prefer to be the neighbor to. Because Jesus talks about showing mercy. He, he says this is what we need to do to be the neighbor. We, we show mercy to those around us. And in a world that we live in right now, which is full of so much fracturing, uh, so many problems, um, this is really a relevant word. Because the third question is, who is my neighbor? Who is the Samaritan? Who am I? Who am I in Jesus Christ? And who am I in how I act toward other people? And what is my call? That's really what Jesus is getting at. Because frankly, the person who decides who my neighbor is is me. And it's you. We make those decisions each and every day. We decide as we look upon people, well, that's my neighbor. And I think that's my neighbor. I'm not so sure about that person. I'm not so sure that's my neighbor. Who is my neighbor and who am I a neighbor to? So how I relate to this world, how I relate to the people around me, Jesus is making a large, large challenge. And I want to suggest by way of, of sifting this out there's a fourth question that most of us ask a lot, and this is something that we'll need to um, deal with in our own sense of conviction, and that is, who isn't my neighbor? We spend so much effort in our lives answering this question rather than the other, and I think in our time and place right now, this is very, very much at the forefront of things. Is my neighbor a Republican or a Democrat? Is my labor from my race or another race? Is my neighbor the someone that I know well or someone I don't know well? Is his neighbor someone in my socioeconomic group or someone who's not? And we do this sifting all the time, and I don't want to suggest that it's unnatural because everyone does this. But the question for us is, will we come to a conclusion that allows us to recognize the neighbor who shows mercy and will allow us and free us to be the ones who show mercy to other people around us? Instead of building walls of exclusion in our going about the world as we walk through north and south and east and west, neighbors and places of work, how will I treat other people? And the Samaritan, of course, symbolizes this. He's not the expected one. He's of the wrong race. He's probably of the wrong socioeconomic status. But God continually sends and uses unexpected people to serve and to rescue and to save. We see these stories all throughout Scripture. God uses the unexpected person. God uses the uneducated fisherman. God uses the, the persecuting Jew and the Apostle Paul to bring the gospel to other people. God uses a slave named Philemon to, to come out and become a minister to the church in Colossae. 
God is always dealing with the unexpected. Now, I want to suggest that we don't necessarily mind the neutral, unexpected sort of person doing something, but in our pantheon of who we like and dislike or who we were willing to ignore, that's where the challenge comes. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul addresses an issue that the church was struggling with at the time. Who do we include? Who do we exclude? The Jerusalem Council gathered together to talk about this. Do we include Gentiles in the church or not? Is God intending for this to happen? And Paul says with a clarion call, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. There's no ethnic delineation in the kingdom of God. All who come to Christ in faith, all who confess Jesus as Lord are welcome. There's no socioeconomic difference, whether slave or free. There's no gender difference between male and female. In Christ, all are welcome. And if we look at this in a different way as well, not only who we receive, I believe it was quoted by Aaron last week, the, the text in Matthew 25 where Jesus looks at the judgment seat and separates the sheep and the goats. And, and people say incredulously, when did we ever see you um, hungry or thirsty or, or unclothed or homeless or imprisoned? or a stranger. When did we see you like that? And Jesus said, when you did this to the least of these, you did this to me. Is that not a whole list of people that we would not normally run into or even necessarily cleave to? Because that's the surprise. The surprise is that the kingdom of God is open to all who confess Christ and welcome to all who confess Christ. And in that kingdom, we are brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. We are even more than neighbors. We are brothers and sisters in him. I'd like to suggest three errors that we, that we fall into as we go through this sifting. The first is the, the grave error of what I would call generalization. Oh, those people, they're all like that. That group of folks, they're all like that. And so it allows us to dismiss people because we categorize them without knowing them and we keep them at arm's length. And what we're saying is, I don't really need to get to know you. We're generalizing. You're of no value to me in that way. The second category is the debilitating power of prejudice. They're not as good as me. They don't matter. They don't deserve the things that I do. And the inability to see value in others or frankly sometimes to see them at all is a problem in our world. It taints everything, including our relationship with God. I have a friend um, from a previous church that I served, and this particular church at the time, we were in the midst of a very deliberate and somewhat controversial deep dive into the issue of racism in our congregation. Are we racist? We asked that question. We had focus groups, we took inventories, and it was a very important issue because this was a very diverse congregation, and we needed to grapple with this, as all of us need to grapple with this. And in one of the focus groups, my friend said to me, you know, Dave, when I go into a room and, and it's people who are a different race than me, it's not that they treat me poorly, but they treat me like I'm invisible, like I'm not there, like I don't count, like I don't matter, like what I have to say. And this is a woman who had a master's degree, served at Northwestern University, brilliant, articulate, wonderful young woman, People were saying, you're not as good as me, otherwise I'd listen to you. I'd notice you. So generalization is a problem, and prejudice is a problem because it allows us to deflect 
our faults onto other people. And thirdly, there's the convenient excuse of what I call exceptionalism. Well, you know, that one person out of that group, that group's not so good, but that one person's okay. They're not like the other people. So we make exceptions for certain people but still live with a sinful attitude that I don't need to know you and I'm better than you. You're like a Samaritan, but you're not like a Samaritan. And we remember, as Maggie quoted for us earlier, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever may come and confess faith may have eternal life in Christ. So who are we to make generalizations and prejudicial statements and then feel good about ourselves because we make one exception? Because the character of Jesus Christ, this is the most important thing, the character of Jesus Christ calls us into loving community. The scandal of the cross confronts all of us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have prejudices. Every group who walks the earth has this. And all need the power of the cross to bring salvation to us individually and to bring us together in the kingdom of God. To transform our attitudes to love our neighbors as ourselves even if, they're not, even if they are Samaritans, even if they're people not like us. Toward the end of John's life, he wrote these words in 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this commandment, Anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. And that's the tapestry element of this. That's my friend Barbara's loom bringing things together. Then the different colors and shapes of the kingdom. Loving God with our heart and soul and mind and strength means also loving our neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus says the person who shows mercy, as well as all of our brothers and sisters in faith, the person who shows mercy is our neighbor. Really, friends, if we are to understand the Samaritan, as Jesus tells the story, we need to understand Jesus. Some people have suggested this might have actually been an incident that happened. I think it's a story that Jesus makes up because he's so deliberate about it. He develops it and the characters in it for a very important reason. And the risk for us hearing this story is the same risk that the young man experienced because we can say, as he was saying, Of course I understand what it means to love God. I've been in church and Sunday school my whole life. It's essentially what he's saying. And of course I understand what it means to love my neighbor. But Jesus needs to challenge him because what he's saying is as long as my neighbor looks like me. And one commentator has said that Jesus' point is that neighborliness is not a precondition of love but a consequence of it. The one who proved to be a neighbor was the one who showed mercy. I have to say this hits home with me. I can be deeply judgmental. I can try to justify myself often. I can be categorizing people a lot. This is a parable for me. It may be a parable for you as well. Because there are people all along life's road who are beaten, who are abandoned, and who are without hope. And frankly, some of us feel that way at times as well. And and during this pandemic, this strange time, this is almost a new reason for us to feel that way, along with all the other socioeconomic and historical things that have challenged people. Beaten up, abandoned, without hope. Many people are struggling with that. 
So are we prepared to help even if the person is not like us? Are we prepared to risk something of ourselves to help? Maybe most importantly, for our ability to do this, are we willing to look to Jesus, the ultimate good Samaritan, and allow him to help us to receive our confession, to receive our weakness, and to give us new life in him? This is really a picture of the universality of the gospel. This is a picture of Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female, Jew and Samaritan, you and me, together in the kingdom of God. Again, for God so loved the world. So may we, in understanding Jesus in this story, may we be willing to see ourselves when we're beaten up, robbed, and sinners, ministered to and forgiven by Jesus, our Savior, the great Samaritan, and out of the strength of the renewed heart that God gives us, may we see the people around us needing us to go to them in Jesus' name, needing the hope that we have in Jesus. And in doing so, may we weave the thread of their lives, and may God weave the thread of their lives into the life that we lead, individually and together, and in this great tapestry called the kingdom of God, that God would do something amazing in this time in this place, in our world. Thanks be to God. Amen. Lord, I praise you because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are marvelous and we know that fully well. I confess that in a hustle and bustle, haste and noise and distractions of our daily life we do not always stop to see and to hear from the strangers and the neighbors we encounter i thank you because scripture says that whatever we do for the list of these we did for you lord open our eyes to see our ears to hear. Give us the humility and strength to reach out to those who are strangers and our neighbors with love. For those who are hungry, may we feed them. For the thirsty, may we give them something to drink. For the stranger, may we invite them in. For those who need clothes, may we clothe them. For those who are sick, may we show them compassion and care for them. For the prisoner, visit them. Lord, help us to engage and to reach out to the stranger and our neighbors and show them kindness and compassion, especially those who are different from us. I ask for all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Peter Hart, for leading us in prayer this morning. Friends, as Maggie said, this is World Communion Sunday, and we have the privilege on this day of celebrating communion here and at home. I hope you're ready for this as well uh, at this time, but also with the knowledge that that we're celebrating at the same time as brothers and sisters all over the world. 
What a blessing it is to think about our unity in Christ in that way. So brothers and sisters, the Lord has prepared his table for all those who love him and trust in him alone for their salvation. All who are truly sorry for their sins, who sincerely believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and who desire to live in obedience to him are welcomed with gladness to this table this morning. So if you're joining us at home, please make sure you're ready in the next few minutes with some bread or crackers and some juice. And if you're here in the sanctuary, we have some instructions for us today. You have been given a communion cup that looks like this, and we hope you have that with you right now. The very top layer of that will peel back and you'll find a wafer in there. And the cover underneath the wafer peels back and you will find it open to the juice there. In just a few moments, I'll guide us through receiving both, both of those. And when I instruct us to receive, at that point, if you would please lower your masks and take both elements, the bread and then the cup. And then you can return your cup to its plastic bag and dispose of it on your way out of the sanctuary this morning. Would you please join with me in prayer? With joy we praise you, gracious God, for you have created heaven and earth. You have made us in your image and you have kept covenant with us even when we fell into sin. We give you thanks for Jesus Christ who came as the light of the world to show us your way. In his life, you revealed your glory and displayed the full potential for every human life. In his death, you paid by grace the price for human sin and opened the way of complete forgiveness for all who trust in his sacrifice. In raising Jesus from the dead, you, O God, gave proof of all Christ said and the promise that his disciples shall also rise one day to life eternal. Send your Holy Spirit upon us, we pray that in the sharing of bread and the cup, that this may be for us the communion of the body and blood of Christ. And grant that being joined together in worship of you today, we may attain to the unity of faith and grow up with the full character of Christ, becoming his witnesses in all the world. And we pray this also for our brothers and sisters wherever they are. And as the grain has been gathered from many fields into one loaf, and these grapes from many hills into one cup, Grant, O Lord, that your whole church may soon be gathered together from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. Through Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, we pray. Amen. According to the words of institution of our Lord Jesus Christ, it was after supper that Jesus took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and he said to the disciples, this is my body which is broken for you. Whenever you eat this bread, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way after supper, Jesus took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. And the Apostle Paul went on to say, for every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the saving death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ until he returns. Friends, this is the feast of God for the people of God. Will you please receive the elements at this time?
Please pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, both now and forevermore. Amen.